Okay. Even the babies rejoice. Are you all happy? It's a little different size crowd than last Sunday, right? A lot of people away, but I'm glad you're here. So um, what I have to share with you today is just something that's been, I feel like the Lord's been speaking in my heart. Um, there's a phrase, and it's come up higher, come up higher. And I wore a shirt this morning to remind me of this, and just, it's, uh, there's more. Is Sheila here? Sheila's not here right now. A lot of you probably weren't here when Sheila Joy designed these shirts, but um, she was looking at the moon, and it's, it was just a crescent showing of the moon, but even though you can only see a little bit, there's a full moon there, right? You can only see a little bit, but there's more. There's more, and so that's basically my whole sermon is come up higher. There's more. There's a, there's a phrase that actually Jesus uses in Matthew, and when he says come up higher, I'm going to be using it out of the context that Jesus used it in, but it's, uh, Jesus was saying there's, there's a wedding set, and you come in, and you, you have a seat, and the bridegroom looks at you, and he sees you, and he invites you to come closer to him. And he says, come up higher. Come up higher. And he's talking about being at a place of closer intimacy with the bridegroom. The bridegroom is Jesus. And so that's what's been going off in my heart. And I want you to hear the same thing because I think each of us have that same kind of personal invitation that no matter where you are in your Christian life right now, I think Jesus would invite you, come up higher, come up higher. There's more. Come closer. So if you'd hear that today, that's basically all I want you to hear. Um, I have a story. It's an it's a odd story to start off with. A little gross, but I think it makes a point. I was watching a documentary of a family in India. And um, this family, their entire life, they lived like they didn't own a farm, but they lived on the farmland. And rats were a big problem to the farmers. They'd go in to destroy the fields. So they got to live free on the land of the farmer if they would catch the rats. Their entire life from morning to evening revolved around finding the rats, smoking the rats out, getting them out of the holes, catching the rats, and eating the rats. And that was their day. Nothing, nothing else really went on in their life except eating rats, chasing rats, looking for rats. And um, I don't know, I sat there and like part of you is like stunned that somebody would live this way, but they really didn't know more. And in the documentary, they were saying, you know, this, this is the way that they've lived. This man grew up from the time that he's a little boy 
uh, he grew up, his father taught him how to eat rats, kill rats. And uh, I was thinking to myself, you know, it, it's all he ever knew. But he's living so far below what, what we're supposed to live at, right? So I ask myself, what are the places in my life where I'm just, I'm just chasing rats? You think we have places in our life where we're just chasing rats? Where God, God actually created us with so much potential. Incredibly amount of potential. Every person in here has so much potential. I was talking with Andrew Zimmerman about this concept the last couple of weeks. And uh, I might butcher his quote, but it was something like, God will provide for you what's essential. Let me see if I can find it. God will provide for you what's essential, but he's not responsible for your potential. Something like that. Does that make sense to you guys? You have been created with an amazing amount of potential, but some of that you're going to have to step out in. Some of that you will have to choose to believe there's more than just rats or believe more than there's just what you've experienced. You know, I, I wonder how much of my life do I think I'm okay and, and I'm living the right way just because the people around me, you know, I'm doing what they're doing. You ever think about that? I mean, it, it's, I, don't, I don't know that you can break past that. It's important that you, you're around the right kind of people. But sometimes we just look around and we think, ah, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Here's how another person responds and acts. And so if I can act and respond, you know, maybe just a little bit better, then I'm okay. When <laughs> there's an amazing amount of potential if we choose to believe, choose to, choose to go after it. Um, I don't know if you ever watched the movie It's a Wonderful Life. A lot of you did. So he has a dream, and he's, he, in the dream, he sees what the world would have been like if he wasn't there. And um, maybe this isn't a, uh, it's a good question, but I don't know that there's an answer to it. But I've asked myself, after I die, because we're all going to die someday, is there anybody that's going to live eternal? Your soul will. Yes, I know. Your spirit. Um, will I be able to see the opportunities that I passed? I, I don't know that I want to, but I wonder if I could. What would I think? I'm asking a lot of questions. <laughs> I'm not going to give a whole lot of answers, maybe. <laughs> I remember that question burrowed itself into me. One day, I was walking down a sidewalk with somebody beside me, and we passed a man sitting on his porch. He, he wasn't far away at all. And you know how you feel like it's not much, but you feel like you should talk to the person. Anybody ever felt like that? Yeah, look at that. A lot of you do. I kept walking. I went probably from me to the second row past his sidewalk. And I turned around. I just decided to turn around and I went and talked to the guy. And um, 
here I found out he was in a lot of pain. And so I said, well, uh, you know, hey, well, I was just walking by. felt like I should stop. And, you know, can I pray for you? He said, no, I don't believe in God. And I said, that's okay. Anyway, we prayed with him. Something popped in his back. And, and all of a sudden, he's amazed and he's just astounded. He still didn't know what to think of it. We left him completely confused. He said, no, he, like, he didn't know what to think. His face was completely, like, amazed. He couldn't believe what happened. But we got to pray with him. We got to spread the love of Jesus, like, all over him. He didn't know what to make of it. But as I walked away, I thought, you know what? I could have so easily just kept walking, right? How often do I do it? How often do I just keep walking? And it's a missed opportunity. It's a missed opportunity. It's potential that could happen. It's potential that could happen. But I'm too busy chasing a rat. Am I making sense now? <laughs> okay. All right. Um, you guys have heard this story. And, and just, just coming at it from the place of your potential and your place because you actually carry a lot of authority. We're looking at this as the authority that's been given to you as a believer, as a follower of Jesus. And, and how far below that we choose to live sometimes. You ever hear the story of the family that's crossing the Atlantic? When America was first discovered, and people were coming over on ships, they would sell, if they're from Europe, they would sell everything they had, everything they possessed, to try to get enough money to buy tickets, to buy a passage on a ship for them and their family. Sometimes they'd have to send one person that send money back. They knew if they just get to the new world, there's so much work, there's so much opportunity, it's going to be an entirely new life for them. So they'd sell everything they own just to buy passage on the ship. How many of you know the story I'm telling? All right. Heather does. Heather does. Pastor Penn's probably told this many times. I don't know where I heard it. Um, they sold everything they had. They bought passage on the ship. And before they left, they packed, they packed food as, as well as they could to last the three weeks that it took to get across the ocean. And they packed the food and they bought the very cheapest, cheapest passage way in the bottom of the ship. And they'd spend their time down there trying to sparingly eat their food. And they, they were just so delighted to be on this ship going across. And finally, when they're only a day or so away from America, when they're only a day out from seeing the Statue of Liberty, that's what they always celebrated seeing. When you could see the Statue of Liberty, you knew you arrived. Um, their food was moldy. They didn't have anything, and, the, and they got to talking to um, somebody when they were top deck, and they were saying, you know, that they're so glad that they're finally here because our food is uneatable anymore. Our food is moldy. We're not able to eat it anymore. And the, and the person looked at them and said, didn't you realize that all the food, all the buffets were included in your passage? And they took that trip, eating moldy food. That speaks to you too, doesn't it? <clears throat> We've been given so much, and sometimes we use so little of it. So little of it. I want you to go to 2 Corinthians 5.20. We're going to look at a couple verses. <clears throat> if you put that up on the board, 
This is Paul writing. Again, looking at a place from what you have been given and what we're going to do with it. He says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You know what an ambassador is? An ambassador is a representative, a U.S. ambassador. The U.S. has ambassadors to every, every country. And if, you're, if you are a U.S. ambassador, you're sent out to that country on behalf of the U.S. government to represent the, the uh, authority of the president. You're sent out to represent. And here he's saying, you... Each one of us. If, if we're a believer, he says, you are an ambassador. You're a representative. And um, he's not saying like the, the person who's got his life the most cleaned up, the person who's got things figured out. He says each person is. When was the last time you got up in the morning, you go to the mirror. Most of you go to the bathroom first, right? And there's a mirror there. Anybody? That's how it goes for me. You looked in the mirror and said, boy, you represent Jesus. That sounds a little out there, right? Here's what I would like for you to try this week, one time. Just one time. If you like it, do it again. Do it again the next day. As you walk into the bathroom, look at the person that's looking back at you and say, today, you represent Jesus. You carry authority with you where you go. And then, you, then you're mindful of that, that, listen, he's actually close. I, I carry something. The Bible says Christ in you, the hope of glory. You're aware of that when you go wherever you go. On the campus, girls. Yeah. Anybody up for it? You want to try it? It's a challenge. My kids love challenges. So it's a challenge. One morning you wake up, look in the mirror and say, you represent Jesus. You're his ambassador today. If you like it, do it again the next day. All right. Um, Ephesians 1. 18 and 19 is the next one I want to read to you. Here is, uh, this is Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus. And I'm not going to read the entire prayer. It's one of the most amazing prayers. If you have time to read it, you should read it yourself. I'll start in verse 18, Ephesians 1:18. Paul's saying, here's the prayer that I pray for you. I pray that your eyes of understanding would be enlightened or opened. That you may know what is the hope of his calling what is the riches of his glory and the inheritance in the saints. Here's the part I want you to listen to. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power. Here's another one. He says, I want you to know the exceeding 
greatness of his power. Okay, here's a question I want to ask you. Is that true? Is there exceeding greatness of God's power flowing to you? Yes? No. Uh, one person believes it. Okay, it's true. Like, it's actually true. It's true. <laughs> there is exceeding greatness of power flowing to you. Here's what I want to tell you, though. What if you live like the guys on the ship? You're not going to experience exceeding greatness. Am, am I right? If, if you believe that your God is very limited in his ability, you won't experience exceeding greatness. You may, you may on occasion, but it's not the place that you're going to live from, even though it's true. It's as true as the sun shining outside, that there's exceeding greatness of power available to you, but we can live below it. We can become comfortable with where we are, and as soon as we feel like we need to break out from where we are, as soon as we need to advance or come up higher, we think, I don't know though, but not for me. I don't think God could do it for me. So it is possible to have exceeding power available, but to live chasing rats. And both are true. You live in this world when this is available. And I think Jesus says, come up higher. So every single person of us, we're at a different place. And you have your own unique situation. To go from chasing rats to believing there's exceeding greatness of power available, that, that just requires a different level of faith, right? Can I tell you a story about Moses? Anybody want to hear a story about Moses? Like he, he went through this same thing. And um, I brought... I brought something along to illustrate this. This is a staff, all right? A couple of you saw me walk in with it. This represents Moses' staff. And the story starts in Exodus, Exodus 4, if you want to read the story yourself. This story goes from the whole way from the place of Exodus to Numbers 20. But this is Moses. Moses meets God for the first time in a real way at a burning bush. And he's a shepherd. And he's out looking after sheep, and he sees a bush that's burning, and he goes up to it, and he's wondering what's there. And there's a voice that says, you're on holy ground, you're in the presence of God. So anyway, that's this place that Moses meets God. God tells Moses, listen, I've got a purpose for your life. i got a purpose. I want you to go into Egypt, and I want you to set my people free. And he thinks... How am I going to do that? I stutter. I can't even, I, I can't do anything. And he says, I'll be with you, Moses. I'll be with you. You got to take the staff that's in your hand, that same staff that you use to look after the sheep. Take that staff, throw it on the ground. And so he does, and it turns into a snake. 
and you see story after story after story. Moses does go into Egypt, and he does go and meet with Pharaoh. And God does amazing things through Moses' life with his staff. You know what some of them are? He goes up to Pharaoh, and God's actual command to him is, take the staff that's in your hand. With it, you will do, I think it's like wonders or miraculous signs. So Moses goes, he goes to Pharaoh. He strikes a river with his staff. He hits a river, turns the whole river to blood. That's in Exodus. Hard to believe, but it's true. He strikes the earth and frogs come out of everywhere. He holds it out and hail comes down and destroys the crops. Destroys, kills things that are outside. People, animals. Crazy stories. Holds it out. Locusts come. Ruin everything. Eat up everything that there is. Finally, Pharaoh says, go. Get out of here. And so they go. They come right up to the edge of the Red Sea. You know what happens then? Moses holds his staff out over the river. And the Red Sea parts. I mean, that's amazing, right? He goes a little further. They cross the Red Sea, goes a little further. They come into a place where there's no water. They need water. And the people are complaining. So God tells them what to do. He says, here's the solution. Take the staff that's in your hand. Go up to that big rock and smack it. And he does that. By the way, you can go on Google Maps and go see that rock. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) I got a Facebook friend who spends a lot of his time over there. And uh, literally, they... They uh, document all that stuff. The burnt mountaintop. It's, 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 it's amazing. That was a side note, a little interesting side note. Huge rock. It's like the size of a mountain, but it's right down the center. It's split in two. Where was I? Ah, he smacks the rock. And water gushes out of it. For 40 years, Moses... He's getting pretty comfortable with this, right? He can do anything with it. (laughs) God's leading him, right? You come to Numbers 20. Here's here's a part of this story that I want you to get. You come to Numbers 20, and the same kind of thing happens. But Moses is in a different place of his life now. They're in the wilderness. It's called Zin, Z-I-N. And there's no water again. This is 40 years later. He spent a lot of time with this thing. He's comfortable with this thing. This is his comfort zone. If he got this in his hand, he, 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 there's nothing he thinks he can't do, right? And they have no water again. 40 years later, and they're in the same place. <clears throat> God tells Moses, here's what I want you to do. Take the staff in your hand. Numbers 20, if you want to read it yourself. Take the staff in your hand. I want you to go up to the rock. There's, there's another rock. And he says, 
I want you to speak to the rock. And it'll bring forth water. And you know, a lot of you know what happens. Moses goes up with his brother Aaron. And he says, listen here, you rebels. That's the literal verse. That's the words he uses. And he beats the rock. He doesn't hit it once. He hits it twice. And the rock gushes out water. You know, when I heard that story, I always thought the disobedience was the big thing that you'd get out of the story, right? Moses is disobedient to God. Now he can't go into the promised land. Isn't there always a reason that we are disobedient, usually? Like, there's a reason that we don't obey. The Bible actually gives us the very reason. If you would look in Numbers 20... Here's what God says. I'm actually going to read it real quick. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. The Good News Translation says this. Because you did not have enough faith to acknowledge my power. I think God was wanting to take Moses from a place that he's just comfortable. He's been living this way for 40 years. And he says, listen, speak to the rock. That was completely outside of his comfort zone. He had never done that. What if it doesn't work? What if I go up to that rock and nothing happens? That's uncharted territory for me. I'll look like a fool. I don't know what all was going through his mind, but the Bible says he didn't have enough faith to acknowledge his power. The Bible says that this is to, to, to cause him to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. This is to bring glory back to God. This is to make God look powerful. If he speaks and the rock brings forth water. You ever notice how many times Jesus says, speak to the mountain? There's a lot of things that come through your mouth. Jesus says, there's actually power there. In your mouth, your words. See, There was a different level of faith that was required from Moses to be able to enter Canaan. And the way it ended up is Moses wasn't able to possess the promise of going into Canaan, his promised land. He wasn't able to do that. I'll let that... So... That unbelief, that unability that I'm going to believe God in, in, in this part of my life actually stopped him from being able to experience it. I'm going to go from that into uh, 2 Corinthians 10. <clears throat> you 
2 Corinthians 10, verse 4 and 5. You might wonder how this ties in, but it does. Here it is. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Ancient warfare worked this way. A king would take his soldiers and they'd go out to conquer the land. And um, they'd just spread out, conquer the land as far as they could go. If they'd come to a castle... Um, they wouldn't just go around it. They wouldn't bypass it because in the castle, that's, that was a place of safety. That's where the soldiers would hide. That's where they'd camp out and they could attack from that place of safety. So they would, they would put it under siege. Somehow they would take the castle and after they've taken the castle, they don't want it to remain. Like you can't just leave a castle sitting there. Some other army is going to go in and camp out inside. So they would actually pull the walls down. There's towers that the archers would shoot from. They would actually pull them down. So it can no longer be a place where people go and hide and shoot at them from. A stronghold. Jerusalem was called the stronghold of Zion. So that's, that's how they do. So he uses that same language, but he says, your battle is in your mind. Your battle, it's not like... You know, the warriors go out and pull down these strongholds, pull down castles where soldiers are. Your battle is in your mind. So, what you have to do, it's, uh, he's not talking about demons here. It's, it's ways of thinking. That's a stronghold. So, if you have, if you have a stronghold of, of believing a certain way about yourself, of believing a certain way about God that's not true, that's not biblical, that can actually become a stronghold in your mind. That, that'll, if you come into a situation, it'll, it'll sit there and mock God from that place. I don't know if I'm making any sense to you at all. But he says, you have to pull them down. If there's a way of thinking that you normally revert to, and it's not true, it's not biblical, he says, you must pull it down. It must come down. What's his language here? Anything that exalts itself about what we know about God, what's expressed in the scripture about God. Can I give you a real quick illustration? How many of you were here on a Sunday night on the overflow service a couple of weeks ago when we had a time where we just said, if you have a testimony about what Jesus has done in your life, come on up. How many were here? One, two, three. No way. <laughs> okay. Complete different service. It was a beautiful evening. We just had a time when people would come up and share, this is what Jesus did for me. This is how he worked in my life. Remember, I'm talking about we're given opportunities to grow, right? Grow, advance. So, LaVon Martin, that night he came up and shared a story of when his wife was away and he was at home with the two boys. And he said, 
my son was having trouble breathing. Couldn't breathe, and I thought I'm going to have to take him to the emergency room. And uh, he said, I laid my hands on him, and within an hour, his breathing had completely cleared up. Did I characterize that right? All right. Beautiful testimony, beautiful story. I went home carrying all the testimonies in my heart. And um, by 1 o'clock that morning, I was sitting in the bathroom with a hot water running the shower, and I'm holding my son, my one-year-old, who's having trouble breathing. He's constantly waking himself up because... <gasps> and I know I heard a testimony not 10 hours, not eight hours before about this very same thing, right? It's not a coincidence. So I'm, 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 I'm in a, like, there is such a battle going in my mind because I know I've been given a testimony to do battle with and say, God, here's who you are. Here's what you can do. Here's what you've done for my friend. Here's what you can do for my son. And I'm trying to pray in a place of faith. And I'm, I'm, I'm listening to my son breathing. And he was, his life wasn't at risk. We wouldn't risk our children's lives just to not go to the hospital. We don't do that. But we didn't know if it's necessary. But I'm praying for my son. And it's, I don't know why things are so difficult in the middle of the night. You all know what I'm talking about? In the middle of the night, there's thoughts that come to you that if they come to you during the day, like, they just fall off. Like, you don't even pay attention to them. But in the middle of the night, there's something about it. And I'm, I'm at war in my mind. I'm at war in my mind. And I don't even know how to tell you how I did. <laughs> but I know that there was, there was a line of thoughts going through my head. God will hear you. God will hear others, but he won't hear you. And anybody ever think that? God's not going to answer your prayer. And because I'm I'm praying and part of me is, you know, wanting to believe in faith and and I I'm in this seesaw place. <clears throat> And there was never that moment where all of a sudden the, the breathing clears, like the testimony I heard. There was never that moment. But the entire way that I might take away from that experience, and, and I don't believe that God causes those circumstances, but he always uses them to grow us. Every single time he will use those experiences to grow you. He will. And... The thing I came away from it was it was, a, it was a place where I was able to, even though I didn't see the immediate, immediate change in his life, I'm able to sit in that shower. I wasn't sitting in the shower because the hot steam opens up their nose. If nobody caught that, that's the reason for it. I'm sitting in there saying, God, you're still good. God, you still have exceeding greatness of power, even now, even if I'm not seeing it, and I still love you, and I still trust you. That's the mystery. That's the tension 
that we all find a difficult place walking in. And for myself, that was the, that was the, the test I felt that I was, you know, I'm not here grading myself because I had lots of other thoughts. But this verse came to me in a very real way. <clears throat> just this, I just have a few more thoughts and I'm closing. Um, the phrase tried by fire is in the Bible quite a few places. I don't know how many of you already in care group, we're going through Daniel. We're reading about uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Just this past week, we read that story. Uh, they were thrown in the fire. That was their fiery trial. That was the fiery trial that they walked through. But there was a promotion. There was an advancement attached to their fiery trial. And I thought to myself, what if every fiery trial we go through, what if every single one has advancement, has growth, has some kind of spiritual growth attached to it? James says that he talks, the very first part of James, he's talking about trials and what they do in your life. If you read that, the end result of every trial is that you would lack nothing. Because he says, this produces this, this produces this, this produces this, that you would lack nothing. Every trial, everything I face has some kind of advancement attached to it. I believe that. That's the way I want to look at every experience I grow, go through. That if I can walk through this still trusting God, that there's another, there's another other level of grace that I'll come to, that I'll walk in. <clears throat> um, spend a little bit of time talking about what the word of God says and what you experience what you believe over here I don't know how many of you know Jeremy Yoder some of you know Jeremy Yoder he's such an incredible incredible young man um, I wish you knew him but he's got one of the most beautiful testimonies. I've gone from a place of, uh, their family's been here. Their children have worshipped right up here. Um, of going from a place where he's had a nervous breakdown. And Heather, you would have known him back when he was in that stage. I never knew him that way. I always knew him as so joyful and full of hope and happy. And the first thing he says to you when he walks up to you is usually something that's encouraging, something that's going, he used to not be that way. And one time I asked him, give me your story. Give me your story of how you went from, I, I hear you used to have a lot of mental oppression, anxiety, lots of fears. Complete life was driven by fear. How did you go from that to who you are now? I don't understand. And he said, he said, it took about nine months. He said, every morning I'd get up and I'd go walking on the trail and I would speak God's word over my life. I'd find things that apply to me. And I wrote some of them down. Let me just read them so I um, do justice to it. I thought I could find it. He would speak to himself. 
And he'd say, Jeremy, you're going to make it. God loves you. His favor is on you, Jeremy. I have enough for you today. The Lord will never leave me, and he'll never forsake me. I am a son of God. He calls me beloved. And he would say this to himself over and over, and he'd pull as many promises as he could. And, and I don't know why he said nine months. That's, that's interesting because a baby's in the womb nine months. But he said in nine months, I had literally rewired my brain so that I was expecting good instead of expecting the negative. Instead of expecting something to go wrong, I was expecting things to go right. And it came through his mouth. That's an interesting thing. He continually speak. And you know what? Your confession will often give you away. What, you, what comes out of your mouth will give you away sometimes. How you're believing, how you're thinking. Are you going to believe exceeding greatness of power? Or are you going to be satisfied to live on moldy bread? Why don't you stand up? I'm going to pray for you. So here's your challenge. If, if there's something that comes to your mind when I'm talking about trial or talking about walking through something where you don't know what to do, you don't know what's next, your, another challenge for you is why don't you find three verses in the Bible that speak to your situation? Sit down with the verses. Sit down with your Bible and say, do I believe this is true over my life? And then begin speaking them over your life consistently every day. Every day. Lord, I, I know you created each one of us to go from glory to glory. You don't want us to grow a certain level and then just become comfortable and think we've figured this Christian life out. And now we're good. Lord, I know it's part of the process that keeps us alive, keeps us going after you. Is when we come into situations where we're not sure what to do. Lord, I pray that every one of us would take that challenge to come up higher and to say yes to you, to believe your promises that you've put in your word that are there for us. Just like Heidi said this morning, we say yes. We choose to say yes to you. Lord, I ask that you'd watch over every person that's here. You'd go with them. That you'd be their peace and their provision. You'd look after everything that belongs to them. And we bless you in the name of Jesus. Amen.